It's happening, readers. We have heard that you want paperbacks from our tailored book recommendation service called TBR. And I am delighted to let you know that we're going to be in sync with your request. That's right. We're bringing paperbacks. Whether you hate carrying around bulky hardcovers, you're on a budget, you want a wider range of recommendations, or all of the above, now you can get a paperback subscription from TBR curated just for you by one of our bibliologists. Get all the details at mytbr.co. That's mytbr.co. We're bringing paperbacks. <laughs> to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 383, and today we are talking about books being released on October 11th, 2022, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Vanessa Diaz, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Vanessa, hello! Hello, we're here. We made it. We are! Uh, it's been a long journey to this point. <laughs> it often is. <laughs> because... <laughs> We we neglected to plan ahead of time. You went on vacation. Mm-hmm. I had to go away. And then we were like, oh, we have to record a show. Wait. <laughs> yeah, I completely forgot. And then I was like, I'm leaving and she's getting back. And uh-oh. But it's all good. Jen's going to take good care of us. She always does. And we thank yeah. her for that. Yes. Yeah. Super, super fun. Vacation was worth it. <laughs> yeah. So it's like Sunday afternoon. I know. I'm like, oh, it's a Sunday, but it's fine. It was, I think we. it was just the best possible way to get all the things done. So. Yes. So you got to go on a fun little trip. Yeah, it was my first time going on vacation, vacation since like, uh, yeah, probably before the pandemic. Like I've, you know, I travel a lot to San Diego because that's where my family is. But that's, you know, I love them, but not generally for like vacation reasons. And then the one other time I think I tried to take a vacation was uh, when the like row news got leaked. And so I spent like a ragey four days in the woods. Anyway, this was just, you know, several days in Cabo San Lucas, like in Mexico to surprise my friend for her 40th birthday. And it was so glorious. I'm like my version of tan. <laughs> I say my version because, you know, I'm like usually a dark shade of eggshell at best. <laughs> um, so now I'm like, I don't know, a bisque. <laughs> but I had a great time. Like always one of those like all inclusive type of things that all we did was, you know, show up to an infinity pool every day and drink and eat and talk wow. and laugh. And it was, that's not like always how I necessarily like like to vacation. But for this, it was just very, very perfect in that it like kind of forced me to just do nothing but chill. It was great. Like vitamin D, man, it really does does the body good. <laughs> it was so nice. It was hard to come back. <laughs> it does. But yeah, that that was me. That's what I did. I went to New York Comic Con uh-huh. on Friday because I had two panels. And while I cannot give the con experience itself two enthusiastic thumbs up, uh, my <laughs> panels were amazing. And I got to meet the author of the first chapter book I ever read to myself. And not everyone can say that. You know, I met James Howe, who wrote Panicula. And it was very emotional. And he was there with R.L. Stein, And the room was at capacity. I've never talked in front of that many people at the same time. Uh, it It was pretty amazing. And I was... I was kind of hoping, like, there was a rumor that Jack Black was around that day. Like, he had been at the con the day before for something else that he has coming out. And so he starred in the R.L. Stein Goosebumps movies. 
So I was like, I don't know if if he shows up here, because I guess he surprised the panel <laughs> yesterday, like not yesterday, but the day before. And I was like, if he shows up here, I might just pass out. Just not combust. because like, I'm a huge Jack Black <laughs> fan, you know, but just because famous people and and there's already like hundreds of people in this room and my head just might fall off my shoulders. I don't know. <laughs> but he did not show up. But I mean, it didn't mean that he wasn't there. There were a lot of people there in masks. You never know. You never know. But dun, dun, dun. It was fun. And I did a book, a panel about witchy books. And Yay. I mean, the costumes are amazing. You know, like at the con, like they're mm-hmm. amazing. Um, the work that people put in, you know, I saw a lot of things that I, was, that I recognized that I was really excited about, you know, like Dipper and Over the Garden Wall and Aww. Star versus the Forces of Evil, one of my favorite things. And then some things that I'm like, I think I know what that is, but I don't really know. And then some <laughs> things that you're pretty sure that people are just like, I have this stuff laying around for my Halloween <laughs> costumes and I'm Here just going to put go. it on. <laughs> yeah. But when I checked in, there was a woman who was checking me in. They couldn't find my badge. So I ended up spending like half an hour standing by the office waiting for them to figure that out, which was fun. But she was upset because she said that at cons, everyone used to dress up. And now only like half the people dress up and the other half come to see those people. And I was like, well, you know, they're all paying to get in. So yeah, each their own. No, but they said about 200,000 people attended. Ooh. Uh, between the four days, so that's pretty wild. Pretty wild. I'm from San Diego, where like sure, comic, you know, like San Diego Comic Con obviously is like the big, and and I, I'm just realizing right now that I don't know like the numbers of people that attend. Mm-hmm. I just know that it like it's like you feel it in the air. You yeah. wake up and it's like zzz, like people just descend on the city, and then yeah, if you're anywhere near the vicinity of the actual like convention center, it's just like for miles all you see is people dressed up really you know creatively and like you, exactly like you said. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I know what that is, and especially when I was younger. Other times I was like, I have no idea what you're dressed up as, but you look really cool. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, and I still have never gone. Well. Know. It's packed. If you don't like a lot of people in one spot, I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, it's a little overwhelming. Like, when I left my hotel, I was like, I, I, the map said it was like a 19-minute walk to the convention center. I was like, I don't know where I'm going. But then immediately I just saw <laughs> Spider-Man yep. and Dracula and all these people. And I just followed them. And it, it only took like That's eight minutes to walk there. So I don't know what the map was talking about. But <laughs> yeah, I just followed them. So we are going to talk about books now. Uh, but before we do that, we are going to hear from our first sponsor. It's happening, readers. We have heard that you want paperbacks from our tailored book recommendation service called TBR. And I am delighted to let you know that we're going to be in sync with your request. That's right. We're bringing paperbacks. Whether you hate carrying around bulky hardcovers, you're on a budget, you want a wider range of recommendations, or all of the above, now you can get a paperback subscription from TBR curated just for you by one of our bibliologists. Get all the details at mytbr.co. That's mytbr.co. We're bringing paperbacks. Okay, so in keeping with the theme of books... Uh, I am excited to remind you that we have a book coming out. Book Riot has a book coming out called Reading the Stars, Astrology for Book Lovers. Are you a Libra who prefers balance and fairness or a Pisces whose emotional intelligence demands a vulnerable memoir? 
Reading the stars will help you better understand how your zodiac sign shapes your reading life and offers book recommendations to help you build on your strengths, explore areas of growth, understand your own sign, and learn about others. Whether you know your birth chart by heart or are just getting curious about astrology, Reading the Stars is for you, and Publishers Weekly calls Reading the Stars an ideal gift for bookworms with a celestial bent. And through October 31st, you can enter to win Book Riot's Reading the Stars with an obvious state celestial print, notebook, and tote bundle. You can find a link to this giveaway in the show notes, which I will tell you about at the end of the show. It's just bookriot.com slash all the books. Show notes. There you go. And yeah, it's very exciting. And Reading the Stars by Book Riot is available wherever books are sold. I got to contribute to that book, just FYI. So Scorpios, <laughs> watch out. That's exciting. So uh, Danica as well. I, yes. I was not asked, but probably because I, I don't even hardly ever remember what my sign is. <laughs> so that might have something to do with it. I think it was mostly editors. <laughs> and then uh, Susie, who, if you don't know, puts together this really awesome monthly post on the website that is like a horoscope-based um, reading for the, all the signs at the top of every month. So yeah, go check it out. It's really cool. It is really cool. It's funny because like sometimes I'll look at my horoscope and I'm a cancer and they're like, cancers are very family-oriented. And I'm like, well, that's not me. And you're like... <laughs> so obviously, obviously they don't know what they're talking about. And then I'll look at those like astrology things on Instagram and it's so me. And I'm like, okay, yep. well, they got everything else right. But I still refuse to be family-oriented, you know? <laughs> you know, like, they don't know what they're talking about. And then the next minute, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I feel attacked. Oh, look, you know me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love those. Uh, I especially love the ones where they use, like, images from, like, film and television. And they're like, yep. you know, Cantor is doing this and Pisces is doing this. And it just makes me laugh, so. <laughs> yeah, so that's exciting. And now we're going to talk about some books that are out today. And also not mm. out today because we both suffered a dearth of things that we didn't want to read. I don't know what the word is that I want. I just know that I tried a lot of things and I wasn't crazy about them. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about some other things today instead, but I'm going to kick it off with a book that is out today that I loved. And it is called The Runaway Restaurant by Tessa Yang. This is a collection of speculative short stories and several authors that I admire blurbed it and you know blurbs are you know sometimes favors but these are all authors that I greatly admire so I was like I'm gonna I'm gonna take their advice and I'm gonna take their word for it and uh, I picked it up and it's so fun it's not very long and the stories themselves vary from like a couple of pages to several pages they're great I think though that my favorite one might be the first story in the collection which is about a group of fairy tale princesses who end up shipwrecked on an island and they kind of go feral. Like we're talking like princesses like Sleeping Beauty and Cinderella and you know now they're they're on this island. We don't really know like what happened just that they sunk and there they are and they're getting to be themselves for like the first time and and they're bonding and I imagine it to be like yellow jackets, which I haven't seen, but like in my head it was like yellow jackets with princesses because I know that there's like a, a survivor story <laughs> in that show. But I wanted to read just like this like little spot that they're talking about things that they won't miss, you know, being not being princesses anymore. And they're saying like, you know, the high tower rooms that you don't get to do anything and you stand there all day and stepmothers. And it says, one says, well, I won't miss all those enchanted comas, says a girl in a filthy yellow dress. Every time you fall asleep, wondering if it'll be years and years before you wake up. And another says, my boyfriend sent out a search party whenever I went for a walk. 
And another says, my talking parts always interrupted me. <laughs> and it just made me laugh and laugh. I don't know. Aww. It's just it's just really fun like that. Like about, you know, they're like, oh, we're free finally for the first time. It was really fun. There's also a story about the teen daughter of a fashion mogul who wants to have a relationship with one of her mother's cyber enhanced models. They like adults are allowed to get LED implants and cyberpunk kind of stuff done to their bodies. Well, it's still illegal for children, and she's really drawn to them. Uh, but the models don't want anything to do with her because her mom is the boss. The title story is about a woman searching for her teenage daughter at a restaurant notorious as a gathering of runaways. There's one about a coven of witches who become trapped in a seaside town by powers they do not understand. There's a story about two teenagers who suddenly find themselves without guardians because bad stuff happens, and they decide to ransack their neighbor's homes and they're empty, I should say. <laughs> Their neighbors aren't there. Uh, and try out new personalities. But it's also like this look at the innocence of childhood amidst the seriousness of things going on in the world. Like, they're, you know, the last vestiges of, of their youth. There's stories about family and love, but also monsters and ghosts and the apocalypse. They're funny and sad and smart and queer. And I thought it was excellent. They reminded me a lot of Kim Fu, who... Also happened to blurb the book, probably for that reason. And they came out from a very small press. I should say are coming out today from a very small press. Uh, this is Tessa Yang's debut collection, but I feel like we are going to be hearing a lot more from Tessa Yang. It's just excellent. This is The Runaway Restaurant by Tessa Yang. Excellent. I am so excited for my first one that also did not come out this week because, yeah, there were a few struggles. But I, you know, I love when we do find things that we love. And this is one of them. And it's The Storyteller's Death by Anne Davila Cardinal, which actually came out on the 4th. So just a week ago. Trigger warning for discussions of alcoholism, which will be part of my description. Um, and then it's obviously also contained in the book. So Anne Davila Cardinal is the author of Five Midnights. And I think it's a duology. So there's a sequel called Category 5, which is a YA horror, again, I think duology, based on the Puerto Rican legend of El Cuco. Like, I, I think I've talked about it on one of the podcasts, if not this one. It's so much fun. Loved it. She also contributed to Our Shadows Have Claws, which I believe I also talked about on this very last episode of um, all the books that I was on. Love her work so much. Love all of those books. But I really think this is where she just knocks it out of the park. Like She really hit her stride with this book. Um, so the main character is Isla, Isla Larson Sanchez. She is the daughter of two architects. Her dad is a white man and her mom is Puerto Rican. And so she has done the like traditional naming convention where like her first last name is her dad's last name. And then in a lot of Latin American countries, we also add our moms, like our, you know, her, her maiden name as the second name. So that's where her name comes from. She is in middle school when the book starts. She presents as white which is important for parts of the story. But her father is in the hospital when her mom takes her on a trip to see her grandmother and her great aunt in Puerto Rico and then leaves her there. And, you know, at first she's not happy. She's a little, I guess, confused is maybe more the right word there. But she gets to know, you know, her family and like, spends time with her great aunt, who is kind of a bristly character, but she really enjoys spending time with. So at the end of the summer... It's time for her to go back to Jersey. And she, of course, asks about her dad. And that's when her mom is like, oh, by the way, um, your dad passed away. And, you know, her mom is clearly having issues like coping with it herself. But she thought that this was like the best way to do it so that she, you know, Isla wouldn't like have to see her father pass. But of course, <laughs> that's not how Isla sees it. You know, she's she's devastated. She's sad. She's angry. Then her mom 
begins to drink a lot. And so she's basically not parenting Isla. Isla is very much parenting herself, you know, right when she needs a stabilizing force in her life. But her mom just essentially, again, is kind of trying to like put all of her feelings in, you know, a drawer and, and shut that drawer. So she sends Isla back to Puerto Rico every summer, like thereafter. So we are watching it, it, this part kind of skips a little bit. We, you know, we know that East like makes it through middle school and then eventually through high school. It's not easy. She, again, largely parenting herself and dealing with the stress and anxiety of feeling othered in school because even though she's white presenting, she is very much, you know, Puerto Rican and hoping that the world also just doesn't notice her mom's increasing issues with alcohol and the stress of like hoping that this, you know, secret of yours isn't unveiled to like other people. And every summer, though, she goes back again to Puerto Rico. And when she turns 18, her grandmother, who is like the kind of legendary great storyteller, Cuentista, dies. And shortly thereafter, Isla begins to seize these visions that she's at first like really interested by and then get really hard to process because it seems they're very immersive. So like the things that are happening in these visions very much like happened to her. Like there's a gunshot in one of them and the, you know, bullet grazes her ear. So it's not like particularly safe for her to be, you know, having these visions. And she learns that she has a gift that is passed down through the family's cuentistas that the family likes to also kind of not talk about. But it's this, this gift where you see the storytellers, like of the dead family storytellers are brought back to life and they replay themselves for you, you know, over and over again. And through her starting to observe the way these stories are unfolding, she realizes that there is kind of a mystery going on to like how her grandfather actually died. And so she needs to figure out if, you know, how, how do I get these visions to go away? I don't want to have this vision every day of my life at 2.10pm and have to hope that I don't get shot this next time. Um, so she needs to She's, she's hoping anyway that by solving the mystery that she can get like the loop to close to end and that, you know, it won't happen to her anymore. There is like kind of a little romantic subplot. It is so lushly described, like all the parts that are set in Puerto Rico. There's a lot of discussions of like food and family and just culture. There are discussions of generational trauma. There's definite examinations of like classism and colorism within the like Latina community. And of that other of feeling like you're, you know, one foot here, one foot there for people that live in that hyphen of, you know, having two different identities. And so, as you probably know, if you've ever listened to me talk on any podcast ever, that's a thing that always gets me. Um, and then the mystery itself, as it slowly unravels over time, was something that I found really juicy, too. So I just love Anda Vila Cardinal. I think, again, she really, really hit her stride with this book. I'll read anything she writes. Um, and that's The Storyteller's Death by Anda Vila Cardinal. All right. So my second pick for today also did not come out today. Uh, it actually came out on September 27th. And I mentioned it in the newsletter that day. But I just love this book so much. And it's so much fun. And I keep meeting people that are like, isn't this book the most fun ever? That I had to mention it today. It is, well, that was unexpected by Jesse Q. Satanto. Satanto is the author of Dial A for Aunties and the follow-up, which is like four weddings and an aunt and four aunties and a wedding, I think is what it, I can't remember I, now. I think so. I'm saying it wrong. They've also written YA thrillers and Jesse Q. Satanto has an upcoming book that I will mention a little later in the show and you will find out why. But this one is, oh my goodness, just a delight. Like if you need something delightful to like break up whatever is going on. This is this is a great pick for that. It's about two teens in this YA rom-com who are brought together basically by their meddling parents. And they dislike each other when they meet. But it is a rom-com, so you know what's going to happen. 
Uh, it, Charlotte is a teenager who is living in L.A. who is caught by her mother as she is preparing to lose her virginity. And her mother is horrified and worried about what America is doing to her daughter, so she drags her to her native Indonesia to visit. And Charlotte is not happy about this. Now, living in Indonesia is George Clooney. Not that George Clooney, but this George Clooney, whose father is obsessed <laughs> with celebrity names. He has also just found himself in a hilarious and unfortunately awkward misunderstanding that leads his parents to believe that he has no interest in real live girls. So now, Charlotte and George Clooney's parents decide they need to get their kids together. So they begin meddling, and by meddling, I mean pretending to be their own children in conversation. So Charlotte is actually talking to George Clooney's parents, and George Clooney is actually talking to Charlotte's parents, and they're saying things, you know, like, oh, I'm, you know, responsible, and I'm going to inherit my parents' you know, business, and you know, Charlotte's mom is saying, like, oh, I'm a, I would make a good wife and all this stuff, you know, and, and they're talking to each other. And when they finally meet Charlotte and George Clooney, they are alarmed to find out that they are very different people than the ones that they had heard about, you know, the ones they thought they knew. Uh, and they have to spend some time together. And at first they're like, ugh, you know. But because, like I said, it's a rom-com, maybe it'll turn out that they're a good match after all. Charlotte also learns about her heritage and the beautiful country where her mother was born and also why is, is curious as to why her mother ran away. It's just, the writing is so fun, the atmosphere is so fun, the descriptions of place and food are so vivid and great. This book, like, instead of two thumbs up, I'm going to say this book is a freaking charming delight. That's going to be, like, my, my top vote for this book. I can't think of any words today, apparently. <laughs> but I mean, it's just, it's screamingly funny. Like, so many laugh out loud moments and just emotionally satisfying. It is just one of the most joyful reads that I've had the pleasure of putting in my brain this year. And it's just, I mean, like the catfishing parents, just everything, just great. So I'm just going to keep saying the word great and a bunch of other adjectives that are, that are related to that. <laughs> so I'm going to stop. I do want to give content warnings for loss of a loved one and sexism. This is, well, that was unexpected by Jesse Q. Sutanto. Jesse Q. Sutanto really does do funny. Di like a lot of people tell you books are funny and sometimes, you know, they are. But like as far as really, really funny dialogue, so good. Like so, so good. Yeah. I can't believe I missed that one. I need to add that to my list. Okay, so I am also very excited about my second pick. I love this one, and this one I believe does come out today, and that is Undercover Latina by Ayala Leon, an unintentional theme. This one also involves Puerto Ricans. Not intentional at all, <laughs> but um, Ayala Leon is the author of A Spy on the Struggle, and I believe that's actually the first of a series, and I, I could could be wrong. But that I loved that book. And this one is I've seen it called upper middle grade. And I've seen it called YA. I think it is both of those things. It could be upper middle grade, and it could be like younger YA, which is cool, because so much of the YA that I know I've read in the last however many years is very, very aged up. This is a 14 year old girl at the heart of it. And so that feels nice to see, you know, that age group represented. So when the book opens, we find out that 14 year old Andrea Hernandez Baldoquin is a spy. And she don't, I don't think she's 14 when the book actually opens. She's a little bit younger. She's on this mission, or maybe she was. I just know there's a flashback to where she basically talks about how she noticed that her parents sometimes acted like kind of cagey and suspected something was up. And so she finally just kind of asks her mom and the mom, you know, finally cops to like, hey, uh, yeah, we're kind of sort of spies. 
and the you know she kind of the daughter has really keen powers of observation so she kind of had already sussed that part out and then at that point it's like okay well the jig is up and the whole family are spies now so it's a mom a dad a younger brother i think named carlos and then andrea and they all now at the time you know the book again now she's 14 they all work for this international organization called the factory that works to protect people of color and only employs spies of color as well so Andrea's dad is Mexican. The mom is Puerto Rican. Dad's features are darker, but she inherited some of her mom's lighter features. And again, this is important for the plot of the story because after, like, basically the family is like fresh off of a job that went like a little bit awry. They're thinking, okay, they're going to have a bit of a break. But all of a sudden, Andrea is approached kind of in the middle of the night by their, I guess, handler is what we'll call him. Um, and he wants her, needs her to do her first solo mission. Andrea is being asked to go to Arizona to help foil a terrorist plot, specifically one of a white supremacist nature. So her mission is to befriend the estranged son, who is also in that same age range, of this really dangerous white supremacist. And to do that, she has to go undercover as a white girl. So she, again, has lighter features. So she, you know, basically just straightens her hair instead of her usual, you know, textured curls. And her name is now going to be Andrea Burke, you know, instead of Andrea. And she will explain to her new, you know, her the people at her new school that she's, you know, switched schools and changed states and moved because her parents are splitting up. So she does get to have like her mom along kind of in the background. And that they've moved again to Arizona for this fresh start because of the divorce or the split. And so she has to work on, you know, tamping down her, uh, basically eliminating her accent when she says Spanish words, like when there's, you know, taco day at her like school's cafeteria, she has to call them tacos or whatever, and then just not speak Spanish otherwise in general, not respond when the, you know, girls at her school that are trying to get her to be their friends who refer to themselves as the first class club, gross, um, you know, she has to keep her mouth shut when they say really racist things and like terrible things about other people that they don't realize are speaking to Andrea's identity because she's hiding who she is. But she takes it all in stride, does her very best. And so, you know, she goes about trying to essentially, you know, befriend the son of the white supremacist. And to do so, she has to do a big deep dive into like the comics and gaming world. And which is funny because we just spent all this time talking about New York Comic Con. They talk about San Diego Comic-Con a lot. Oh, they call it Comics-Con, which I can't figure out if it was a mistake or like we didn't pay for the rights to that. <laughs> I don't know which one, but they call it Comics-Con. But anyway, so that is the plot. Like she has to, again, like get really into these comics and into this gaming world to kind of figure out like, A, is the son himself a white supremacist? Because he seems cool and he has a best friend that is complicating things because he's Latino and very cute and... Andrea is like maybe developing her first crush, but you know, she's got to keep her eye on the prize and like help solve this plot because it's a big deal. Like this guy is threatening to do something really big and no one exactly knows what it is. It's just, it's so, so great in that it is age appropriate for what it does, but it comments on everything from misogyny and racism in the comics community, identity politics, code switching, the evolution of language, which is really interesting. It was nice to see it discussed in this like younger book about, you know, why we're trying to move towards using the words like enslaved instead of slave or, you know, the importance of words like Latine and Latinex, the complexities of being a light-skinned Latine person and what passing is, what it means to be of color and like what, you know, you can still acknowledge privilege, but also feel like you don't feel connected to certain terms people use. 
I could go on. It's just, it was so good. And the mystery itself is also really fun. And it was great to, you know, you suspend a little bit of disbelief to believe that this girl is, you know, a full-blown, like, employee spy and, like, knows martial arts and stuff at age 14. But, like, again, it's fiction. Go with it. It's a lot of fun. (laughs) And I really loved the audiobook version of this, which was narrated by Victoria Villarreal. So, yep, so much fun. Go into her, you know, backlist if you haven't. That's Undercover Latina by Aya de Leon. All right. So those are books coming out today and not out today that we read and loved. Now we're going to talk about more of today's releases, both hardcover and paperback, that we are excited about but haven't necessarily read. I am going to kick it off with Little Eve by Katrina Ward. Katrina Ward is the author of Last House on Needless Street, as well as Sundial. And I believe Little Eve actually came out in the UK before either of those books came out in the US. It is a Shirley Jackson award-winning novel, Uh, And now it's getting its U.S. debut. It's set on an island in Scotland in a castle. And in that castle lives a clan who are preparing for the end of the world, but also its rebirth. So it's kind of like positive thinking, I think. Uh, And so this rebirth has been foretold forever. And also when this rebirth happens, one of the family will inherit this amazing power. And there is a young girl named Eve in the family who wishes for it to be her. And she's trying everything that she can to ensure that it's going to happen for her. However, in the middle of their ceremony, a detective arrives at their door. He is looking for information about a gruesome murder that he is trying to solve. And this disruption is going to mess things up and bad things are going to happen. Because this is a horror book, so... And the, and the first one we've mentioned today, like, which is pretty amazing considering it's a show set in October. Um, but I look forward to reading it. It is called Little Eve by Katrina Ward. I have been meaning to read any of Katrina Ward's books. <laughs> I feel like they're constantly getting recommended to me. Um, and now I will go on to my next pick, which is, I believe, also out today. And that is The Bell of Belgrave Square, which is the second book in the Bells of London series by Mimi Matthews. I definitely own the first in the series. Have I read it? No. Story of Anessa's Life. The first is called The Siren of Sussex. And this series is about a group of women, like they're all unconventional. Well, I'll just give you the pitch, which is a daring group of unconventional women ride boldly across Victorian London to find independence and love. So it seems like the equestrian thing is a theme throughout the books. So in this one, there is a kind of mysterious he's one of those like tall dark and handsome but also notorious guys named captain jasper blunt and he was this military hero but there's a lot of rumors that surround him about his haunted estate in the countryside i think in yorkshire and his like many bastard children and so he needs is a wife to kind of like clean up his image and you know just fix things as that's how people did back in the day like marriage it'll fix this um so he sets his sights on this woman named julia witchwood she is this super romantic but she's got this just super 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 social anxiety and so the idea of doing the what's the, what they call like the coming out season you know doing the season in london where you go to the ballrooms and go through all the rigmarole of like trying to find a match just sounds super awful and she just wants to, you know, ride her horse and be happy and read her books. And so she makes this decision to go ahead and propose to the aforementioned Captain Blunt. But so she will give him her dowry and she will marry him. But she's just like, you have to give me one thing. And that is the freedom to do as I please. I get to ride my horses. I get to read my books. You don't get to interfere. And so like the other 
he then was like, okay, fine, but I have a thing for you too. And that's that she is not allowed to go into the tower rooms of his estate and like, you know, look around. So dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I'm really excited to read. I love a historical. I love the like kind of forced proximity and like fake, but not fake arrangement thing. So this sounds like a lot of fun. And that again is The Bell of Belgrave Square by Mimi Matthews. Okay. And before we tell you about our last two, we're going to hear from another sponsor. All right. So my other pick for today is Dinosaurs by Lydia Millet. Very excited about this one. It's probably going to be the first book that I buy this Tuesday. Lydia Millet is the author of A Children's Bible, which was a National Book Award finalist, as well as Love and Infant Monkeys, which was a Pulitzer Prize finalist, as well as Sweet Lamb of Heaven and Mermaids in Paradise, both of which I think we've talked about on the show before. I'm a big fan. Dinosaurs is about a man named Gil. After the end of relationship, heartbroken, Gil decides to go to Arizona, decides to get away from his life on the East Coast and make a fresh start. And does he take a train there? No. Does he take a plane or a car? Uh Uh-uh. He decides he's going to walk to Arizona, like you do. And he does. He walks to Arizona, gets to think about some things, and he gets a house there and looks forward to starting his new life, and shortly after, some new neighbors move in. They live in a house next to him that has glass walls, so he can't help but kind of see into his neighbor's homes, and he ends up getting wrapped up in their lives, and this sort of gives him a new sense of purpose. It's a new sense of community, and they become a huge part of his life. It's a story of community and what makes us human and what separates us from the animals, as well as a look at extinction in the world, which is a thing that I read from the blurb because from the description, I do not understand how that fits in, but we're going to find out when we read it. Very excited for this. It's also very hard to look it up on anything because the word is just dinosaurs by Lydia Millet. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it just occurred to me. Yeah, like, just look it up. Dinosaurs. Yep. <laughs> uh, I loved a children's Bible. Such a weird book, but I loved it. Oh, so good. So good. Okay. Uh, my last pick is one that I have been trying to get to the first ones in the series because Jamie Ganavez talked about them on Unusual Suspects and then it feels like a bunch of other people at Book Riot all did too in like a short amount of time. And so this book is called Sinister Graves and it's the, I think now third book in the Cash Black Bear mystery series. So this is a series, uh, Cash Black Bear is a 19, 19 year old, really? I think 19 year old Ojibwe woman who occasionally helps out like the... Uh, sheriff, I believe, in in their like on the town to help solve cases, and so that's what's going on in you know this one as well. It's set in 1970s Minnesota on the White Earth Reservation, and this one follows Cash Black Bear as she attempts to, as it says, discover the truth about the disappearance of native girls and their newborns. And this specifically happens when uh, a snowmelt essentially drags the body of a- an identified native woman into the town where they live. And the kind of cryptic piece of evidence, and only piece of evidence that the medical examiner finds, is this torn piece of paper that is inside the woman's bra that is a hymnal that's written in both English and Ojibwe. So Cash agrees to, you know, help that sheriff, Sheriff Wheaton, I think, with this search to figure out, well, to get justice, really, for this anonymous victim. Um, And, you know, this feels extremely, extremely relevant for really tragic reasons that have to do with, just in general, the violence that happens to Indigenous and Native folks on reservations, and specifically the disappearance of Native girls and women, and this is unfortunately, as we know, not at all a new phenomenon. Um, so, and I just, 
I, I definitely need to go back and I don't know that you need to read them in order, but I would like to go back and read them in order just because that is who I am as a completionist. Um, so yeah, this one is called Sinister Graves. It's the third Cash Black Bear Mystery by Marcy Rendon. Okay, so those are books that we've read and loved. Those are books that we are excited about. Now it is time for the paperback lightning round in which I possibly talk even faster than I normally do, which is <laughs> pretty fast. Um, starting with books that were in hardcover that are out in paperback today. My Monticello by Jocelyn Nicole Johnson. This is a collection of short stories depicting the racism faced by black people in present day America. Tale of Two Omars, a memoir of family revolution and coming out during the Arab Spring by Omar Sharif. Sharif is the grandson of the famous actor Omar Sharif. And this is a memoir about his experiences as coming out as a gay man in Cairo and the backlash that he faced. The Postmistress of Paris by Meg Waite Clayton. This was one of the biggest books of last year. It was huge. Got tons of great reviews. It's set during the early days of the German occupation in France. Generation Misfits by Akimi Don Bowman. This is an own voices story about an 11-year-old Japanese-American girl who bonds with some new friends over their love of J-pop. The Family by Naomi Kropitsky. This was a Today Show pick, I believe, uh, about two best friends who also happen to be the daughters of Italian mafia members, and it's a look at their lives growing up in 20th century Brooklyn. Daughter of the Moon Goddess by Sue Lin Tan, which is a book that we love here at Book Riot. I talked about it on the show. It is indeed about the daughter of the Moon Goddess. She is born on the moon, where her mother has been exiled for stealing something from the emperor. And when she accidentally figures out that she can do magic, it brings them into the line of fire. And so she travels to the emperor's kingdom to try and figure out what's going on and also free her mother from the moon. The Temps by Andrew DeYoung. Also read this one. Great fun. It's about a group of temps uh, sent from an agency to work at this Google-like company and how one day when all of the executives and the other workers are in a meeting, something terrible happens. They all die. Only the temps are left in this giant building. They can't go outside. Terrible things are out there. Uh, and it sort of turns into this sort of like hilarious Lord of the Flies kind of situation where people you know, are vying for power and figuring out what they're going to do and breaking off in groups. My Mess is a Bit of a Life, Adventures in Anxiety by Georgia Pritchett. Pritchett is an Emmy Award-winning comedy writer uh, whose credits include Succession and Veep. This is her memoir in vignettes about living and thriving with anxiety. When Two Feathers Fell from the Sky by Margaret Verbal. This is a novel about a Cherokee horse diver at a zoo in 1926 who is looking into some mysterious goings-on that are taking place at the zoo. Time is Tight, My Life, Note by Note by Booker T. Jones. Jones is a legendary musician. He had house bands. He had his own band. has sold millions of records and has worked with some of the biggest names in music. And this is his story about those. And then there are a few books out in paperback today, paperback originals, starting with Ghost Written by Ronald Melfi. This one is a collection of four standalone horror novellas that are kind of book related. One is about a cursed book. One is about an unusual pop-up book. One is about a choose-your-own-adventure that gets out of hand. Sounds like great fun. On the Hustle by Adriana Herrera. This is about a woman who agrees to do a home makeover show with her infuriating boss. The Spare Man by Mary Robinette Cowell. Cowell is the author of 
the Lady Astronaut series. And this is a murder mystery set aboard an intergalactic space liner involving an inventor and heiress who is on her honeymoon. And mistakes were made by Meryl Wilsner. Wilsner wrote something to talk about that came out last year or the year before. It was great fun. This is a new rom-com about a college senior who has a one-night stand only to discover that it turns out to be her best friend's mom. Whoops. (laughs) (laughs) And those are some paperbacks out today. So, (laughs) Vanessa, what are you going to read next? I unmuted myself a little early and you really got me with that last time. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, okay, so it is officially October. So if you know me, you know that it's like, it's officially witchy reading seasons. And I swear my library holds also knew that because books I've had on hold for like two months, the holds just came in. It's like, ah, yes, the witch, it's in the air. So uh, first two books that I'm reading are one I'm doing in actually a book club, Jamie, and it's uh, Her Majesty's Royal Coven. And it's by, oh my gosh, who was by this one by? Juno Dawson. And I honestly don't know a ton about it, except that it has the word coven in it and that it's pitched as a discovery of witches meets the craft. And beyond that, I think it's also about a group of like childhood friends who are witches. But uh, Patricia recommended this as a book that explores like feminism and gender and transphobia and as like a read this, not that for anybody in search of witchy reads by authors who aren't raging transphobes. Um, so for all of those reasons, I was like, yes, put on hold. And so I'm super excited that that is finally here. And then I'm also doing The Mercies by Kieran Millwood Hargrave, which is a queer, witchy historical fiction set in, I think, early 1600s Norway. And it's inspired by like real events, like a terrible storm that hit them in like the 1600s. And then these witch trials that happened after... And in, in like the book, three years after all of the men in this tiny Arctic Norwegian town are wiped out by this storm, this Scottish stranger arrives in the town, sees all these women living independently, and is like, yeah, you witches, gonna do with all of you. Um, so that's, you know, terrifying and awful, but also his wife, who is both equal parts, I think, kind of, I don't know, impressed and terrified of this man, starts to be drawn to the other woman, like, main character in the story. That's where the queer part comes in. So, yeah, it has all the things I love. Like, it's historical, witchy, cool. So, yeah, The Mercies by Kieran Millwood Hargrave. Those are my reads. Awesome. How about you? Oh, my goodness. So many things. So, first of all, I picked up the first two books in Laid Back Camp by Afro, which is a series that Danica talked about last week. Uh, They are indeed... A delight, it's just a manga about people camping. And that's it. Like, <laughs> what sleeping bag should we use when it's this temperature out? Where should we go next? It's just, it's so great. You don't have to think about anything. It's so fun. Uh, and I did indeed end up getting my copy of Madly Deeply, The Diaries of Alan Rickman, which I have started, but Aww. I'm already sobbing. Like, I sobbed through the introduction by Emma Thompson, and it just feels like someone has taken my what? heart out with a spoon. Which, if you're an Alan Rickman fan, you recognize the reference. Uh, so I am kind of reading those. And also, when I was at Comic-Con, I picked up Kitty Quest by Phil Corbett, which I really want to read. It's a middle-grade graphic novel that has, like, an evil cat wizard and these other two, like, cats with swords <laughs> and armor and stuff. So that's going to be awesome. But I am also going to start after, probably right after we finish recording this, uh, I got Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice for Murderers by Jesse Q. Sutanto. I told you I was going to mention another Sutanto book. Uh, this one comes out in March, and it is about an elderly woman who has a tea shop in the middle of San Francisco's Chinatown, and one day she comes downstairs to her store to find a dead body lying on the floor, holding onto a thumb drive. For some reason, Vera decides, 
I could probably solve this crime better than the cops. And she takes the thumb drive uh, and decides she's going to solve the murder. Mm. And I also got The Covenant of Water by Abraham Verghese, which comes out in May. This book is 800 pages long. Verghese is the author of Cutting for Stone, which came out in 2009. This is his first novel since then. And it takes place from 1900 to 1977 and follows three generations of a family in South India. And this is a big deal. Like, he got a big, big advance for his novel, his second novel. And I think it was called something else at first. And then just several months ago, it was announced in Publisher's Lunch that he was switching publishers. So everyone is abuzz with, you know, wondering what's going to happen with this novel and, like, why was it... Was it postponed for so long and what's it gonna i'm sure it's gonna be great i mean he's an amazing writer he's an amazing speaker he does ted talks so and i just love like that whole like insider baseball publisher deal thing you know which is why i get excited about it but i also loved cutting for stone so i look forward to reading the covenant of water even though it's 800 pages long there are a lot of books out this year that are chonkers and i am here for it i love a chunky book love it love it. I've said it before on the show. For some reason, I don't know, when I was a kid, I thought the bigger the book, the better it was going to be because it meant there were more words to tell you things. Uh, And I still carry that with me for some reason, even though I know it's not true. (laughs) I just, I love holding like a giant book. So I'm very excited. So yeah. So books. Woohoo. We did it. Yes. So that is it for us today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink who I made, uh, so we had to text her, and I hadn't texted her in a long time, because usually we talk on Slack, so I wasn't sure. I, like, got a new phone in between that time. I wasn't (laughs) sure that I had the right number. So I said, hey, uh, do you mind if Vanessa and I record on Sunday? And the person wrote back, yes. And then I was like, okay, now can you tell me the names of your cats so I know that this is actually you? (laughs) And I didn't hear back for, like, a half an hour, so that's when I texted you, Vanessa, and said, you know, um, I might have just, like, asked a stranger if we could, like, not do our work today, and they agreed. <laughs> but eventually, uh, Jen did write back, amuck, 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 because her cats are named for the Hocus oh, Pocus, right. which is... And I was like, okay, phew, phew. <laughs> Thank you for making room for my injury and liberty, yeah, and not being a stranger, because that would have been a great story for me to tell them anyway. <laughs> Jen would have been like... Why didn't you turn the file? She would never be like that, first of all. Like, never. No, but, but I mean, like, still. I just imagine her being like, what were you two thinking? And you're like, but you gave us permission. Would have been well within her rights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love I the chaotic know. energy of just being like, yeah, I'm going to reply yes to this, even though I'm not the right person. <laughs> oh, Also, if you would like to win a copy of Reading the Stars, Astrology for Book Lovers by Book Riot and all the loot that comes with it, you can go to our show notes, which are bookriot.com slash all the books. Uh, you can also get Astrology for Book Lovers by Book Riot wherever books are sold. And you can drop us a line at allthebooks at bookriot.com if you want to talk to us about anything. And you can find us online. We mostly hang out on Instagram. Vanessa is Buenos Dias SD. I am Franz and Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you get your podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us and we appreciate it so much. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. 
And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.